0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. In July this year, the UK government published a major new strategy on innovation. Over the next two podcasts, we're going to be discussing that strategy from two different lenses. Next week, we're getting a business view, but this week, we're discussing what the UK innovation strategy means for UK universities. With me to discuss that is Professor Mark Spearing, Vice President, Research and Enterprise, at the University of Southampton. Professor Spearing, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi there, Gavin. It's great to be with you today.
0: So this new innovation strategy has four main sections to it, which it calls pillars. And UK universities have a role to play in each of these. I I thought we could just sort of pick them out in turn and and have a look at them. The first pillar is entitled unleashing business. There's a number of things directly related to, to business in there, including access to finance and the regulatory regime and using public procurement to drive innovation. But one key element also in that pillar is commercialization from the UK research base. So how important are UK universities to driving innovation in business?
1: Yes. So in some areas, UK universities have played a really important role in driving innovation, and there's been really strong translation from a basic research base up to innovation and commercialization. So in areas like aerospace and defense, pharmaceuticals and biotech, and more recently automotive, you can see that pipeline running very smoothly. I think there are other areas where there's considerable room to improve and grow, uh, and for UK industry to understand that innovation and particularly innovation through technology has an important role to play in in their business. And in some areas that could be construction, uh, marine and maritime, but also uh, places like retail and creative industries, where I think we could be doing a lot more of universities working together with industry to give them competitive advantage.
0: Why is it that some of those sectors have already been successful and there are other sectors where there are more opportunities but so far they've been taken up less.
1: Well i think in areas like aerospace and biotechnology those industrial players understand they are in a technology business competitive advantage comes from exploiting really good understanding of basic basic science and using that as a key component of innovation again for them to compete internationally. There are other business sectors, and I I think construction, probably the the rapidly emerging games industry is another where the harnessing of creative with computer science has a role to play. Uh, Retail, where AI is clearly playing an important role. The traditional players in those industries probably haven't woken up yet to the fact that there is competitive advantage to be gained by exploiting core basic research combined with new technologies to allow them to work on an international stage.
0: Which is really interesting to see how they'll respond. In terms of levers that the UK government have to help universities work in some of this space, there are potential ones that are mentioned in the strategy, such as the Connecting Capability Fund, the Higher Education Innovation Fund known as HIFE, and the Knowledge Exchange Framework. How are these funding streams going to help universities deliver this innovation support to business?
1: A couple of them I know well. The Connecting Capability Fund is a relatively new innovation. It's very much about connecting institutions, uh, connecting with business, connecting different places. The University of Southampton, my institution, has been involved in a couple of them, one uh, through the Set Squared Partnership, where we're partnered with four other universities, uh, Exeter, Bath, Bristol, Surrey, and Cardiff has just joined the group. And there we are, we already have an existing, it's about 20-year-old partnership around developing an innovation ecosystem around those uh, five, about to be six universities. And we won and have had an extension of our Connecting Capability Fund to scale up small startup businesses from the 10 people, 10 million pound turnover to hundreds of people, tens of millions of pound turnover. And part of that is by connecting supply chains so exploiting our universities' links to large established industries to allow those smaller wanting to scale up businesses to play into the large company supply chains so that's a sort of a a cross-sector example of the connected capabilities fund we're involved in another one sprint with several other universities including including surrey again which is more thematic around exploiting our different capabilities for innovation for space-oriented businesses. Um, So those are, I think, quite successful outings of the Connecting Capability Fund. The Higher Education Innovation Fund has been running for over a decade and allows universities to invest in quite disparate areas of innovation that include IP protection, uh, startup formation, go through more into the development of uh, skills for entrepreneurs so we've been responsible at southampton again through set squared for the the IKEA program that gives would be startups the mechanisms for writing a business plan thinking about how to engage with investors the startup roundabout has been a very effective mechanism for actually just helping really educate would be entrepreneurs who have an idea and want to explore whether they can commercialize it. So HIFE has allowed us to explore a number of different things and invest in them for good effect. The knowledge exchange framework is is different. Again, that's a a way of measuring how universities are doing in knowledge exchange against similar institutions and uh, as a prompt to get us to share best practice. And uh, I think it's been quite beneficial allowing us as an institution to see where we have strengths and weaknesses and has actually made us think about a couple of areas, particularly in uh, student enterprise and skills development, where actually we might be able to do better and have something to learn from, from some of our peer institutions. So they all have a place to play. And I think actually having different funding models and measurement models is quite important in innovation because it's not a linear process and different places, different organizations will have different ways of doing it.
0: I can certainly see that there's such a vast range of different types of universities in different markets, working with different sectors. One of the things you mentioned a couple of times uh, in your previous answer was skills. The second pillar in the new innovation strategy is people. Uh, And obviously universities have a key role in delivering people with the right skills. So what do universities need to do to ensure both their students and indeed their academic staff develop the kind of innovation skills that that are needed?
1: Yes. So I think it's actually quite an encouraging time. Actually, just how happened my previous meeting with the University of Southampton Enactus team, which is a competition for social entrepreneurship. I'm very proud to say the University of Southampton team has yet again won the national championship. And uh, the vice chancellor and I were meeting with them before they went off to the world championship. And they represent about 100 students at the University of Southampton that really want to be entrepreneurial and really want to do it for social good. And I think we're seeing a much more entrepreneurial attitude amongst our students. And we and other universities have put mechanisms in place, including an Enactus, but we also have our Future Worlds incubator for more tech student uh, entrepreneurs that allow them to gain the experience, understand how to work with business, uh, how to think like an entrepreneur, but in the relatively safe environment of a university where uh, it's okay if they fail and they learn about that before they perhaps go and try it for real out in the wider world. I think it's also important just to note that educating students with really strong fundamentals that are going to be relevant for their rest of their careers matters and also Preparing them in a way and I think um, exposing them to research and enterprise activities so that they're used to dealing with open ended problems, dealing with new approaches, new technologies coming down the pipe and getting used to that as how their lives and careers are going to be whilst they're at university. And again, preparing them to take risks is an important part of the preparation we provide, as well as obviously really strong academic degree programmes.
0: So that covers the work that you're doing with students. What do you need to do to make sure that your academic staff have the kind of the the knowledge of entrepreneurism in order to be able to work in this interface with business?
1: Yes. And I think that allowing staff, helping staff gain those innovation and entrepreneurial skills. There are basic things like actually how do you work with business effectively, getting over oh, I've got a really great science idea, of course, business will love it, to actually uh, listen as much as one is talking and hear what industry's current problems are, and both thinking about how one can help address those, but also extract perhaps what some of the more fundamental underlying issues are, turning those into research proposals, which can then feed back in the longer term to business as well as allowing staff, helping staff engage with the more entrepreneurial agenda of using some of the same mechanisms as we do for students, of putting them through the Future Worlds program, the iCure program. Uh, Our Science Park has a Catalyst program. So if they've got an idea for intellectual property, a spin out, giving them support, both mechanistic support, but also mentoring, help with developing the behaviours and attitude that they're going to need to get that uh, idea to commercialization, Um, And I think we and other universities are becoming more sophisticated in how we do that. And I'd say actually staff, uh, members of academic staff, but also professional service staff, are embracing that more as as something that matters, not necessarily for their whole career, but at, at a point in their career when they've got something they think might actually have a chance of making a difference in the world.
0: Talking of staff careers, sort of in parallel with the innovation strategy, the government's also published an R&D people and culture strategy, which, amongst other things, is looking at the the culture of research in UK universities and uh, enterprise in UK universities, as well as in uh, sort of R&D businesses. And it picks up issues such as equality, diversity, inclusion. What are some of the issues for universities like Southampton and how are you beginning to tackle those?
1: This is a mixed picture. Universities as places really believe in social justice, equality, equal treatment for all. We believe we're places that can transform lives so that anyone can come to university and we're very egalitarian in that respect. But the data is telling us we're not achieving that. We have big disparities, particularly around race. Vanishingly few people with declared disabilities uh, come to us. And actually probably the most worrying one is the socioeconomic divide. People from lower socioeconomic backgrounds are less likely to come to university and less likely to benefit fully from university. So we've got a job to do to address that. Um, And we, University of Southampton and most other universities, are very determined to up our game in terms of equality, diversity, and inclusion. And I'd say both for universities, but wider society, it's really important we do. And there's a sense of we need to do it because the law says we need to do it, and it's a compliance issue, and of course we want to be egalitarian. I'd put it on onto more positive footing, that there's a lot of research out there that says creative organisations benefit from diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of background. And so I'd put it in the perspective that if we, and universities doing research, education, and particularly enterprise innovation, those are creative activities at their heart. So if we want to be as creative as we can be and do those core activities as well as we can, we need to be diverse. We need to embrace that. We need to be inclusive. And and so we need to take action to get ahead. And I think society needs us to do that. And UK and world business needs us to do that as well.
0: One of the other challenges for universities is making sure we have the best talent. And like all universities, Southampton, we're trying to attract some of that talent from overseas. Brexit has probably sent out an unhelpful signal about the UK's attractiveness as a place to come and work. What's the situation now in UK universities like Southampton in terms of pulling in international talent?
1: So I think uh, I I agree with your assessment that Brexit has caused a, I hope, temporary, and let's be honest, also combined with COVID, we've seen a net outflow of international staff, particularly European staff, who might have been considering where they were going to spend the next phase of their career, and Brexit just provided that nudge that made it easier for them to decide to, to go somewhere else in the world. I choose to be hopeful that not least with the, the, the government strategies, the innovation strategy amongst them, and the declaration that we are going to, we are associated with Horizon Europe, that actually we can rebuild that position, which the UK was an attractive place for European colleagues to come and spend part of all their careers. So I think that if we stick with that, we can actually get ourselves in a more attractive position. It couples with other things in the strategy, you know, treatment of people and clarity over immigration status, uh, availability of funding, availability of good career progression, you know, fairly basic stuff. That if uh, and, and and certainty about what the future will look like for a time. Yeah, I think that quite a lot of the world was a bit shocked by Brexit and the UK's decision, and I think there's a, a bit of a period we're still in of. The rest of the world looking at us and say actually what are they going to do next for people wanting to invest in the time it takes to do world-class research and innovation which is you know more like a decade than it is a year or two that sort of clarity of purpose really matters so i i think we can get there i think that the innovation strategy is very helpful in that respect but we need to keep with it and and be relatively consistent in our approach particularly to colleagues coming from elsewhere in the world who are going to spend part of their time in our institutions.
0: Okay, well, let's look at uh, another part of the innovation strategy. The third pillar is is all about institutions and place. And I I wanted to ask you about the geographical spread of R&D and and regional needs. And obviously, Southampton's a leading university. It's going to be working with companies all over the UK, all over the world, in, in effect. But there is also, presumably, a role to support business needs In your local region. I guess, firstly, what is the business environment like in the kind of Southampton and Solent region, and how do you support it as a university?
1: Yes. So, the Solent region is an economically vibrant area. It's got quite a mixed economy. We still have a major port, and there's quite a lot of industry enterprise that supports that. There's quite a lot of life sciences. We have one of the largest hospitals in the UK and there's a life sciences biomedical cluster around that. We also spun out from the university a very strong activity in, in optoelectronics, photonics, with about 20 businesses mostly still located in the region that originate from very long-standing basic uh, science and research done at the University of Southampton. And we also support, as as would surprise no one, a very strong uh, marine and maritime economy, including small craft building. And so through one of our consultancy units, the Wilson Unit for Maritime Technology, Industrial uh, Aerodynamics, we do a lot of bespoke local consulting, applied research, contract testing for uh, yacht and small craft design companies, including America's Cup Yachts, which, which is Yeah, fairly unique in in the UK to to the Solent area. And I suppose the the single biggest thing we do is, like many universities of our type, we're a net attractor of talent into the region, and we make that talent quite sticky. So 50% of our alumni live within a 50-mile radius of the University of Southampton after graduation, and they're contributing to uh, the local economy in, in all manner of ways as a result. So very much supporting local business, but also working on on a larger scale nationally and internationally.
0: That's a really interesting statistic. And I wonder if that's shared with other universities, but but if it is, then it's certainly a way of of sharing what you've generated with your students and, and taking them out into the workplace. So the last pillar in the industrial strategy is called Missions and Technologies, and the government is explicitly backing mission-focused research and supporting seven specific technology areas, which it it names in the strategy. What does this mean for universities? How how will this change how universities approach uh, research and development with this mission focus?
1: Yes, so I'm a big fan of mission-oriented research. I think it's an important part of the research and innovation spectrum. I I spent 15 years of my uh, career in the US where organizations like Defence Advanced Research Project Agency fund almost all their work through mission-oriented mechanisms. And I'd say this, that for some areas, having a very clear goal in view and bringing together existing research and doing new research and combining it through innovation, because there's a challenge out there that's important enough to merit working in that way is really vital. So in in areas like life sciences, um, clean energy, environmental sustainability, those are really important challenges. And so using a mission oriented approach. And actually, if you do it right with a view to doing it in this way, Doing applied things for a very specific purpose often reveals underpinning fundamental research problems that can then spin out longer term blue skies research, but inspired by applying to the mission. So I think you can in this area have your cake and eat it. But there's no doubt that you know there are huge opportunities in, you know, to pick, pick three, maybe evolving new materials and they're fundamental to the physical world. AI and data science is just transforming our lives in front of us. And so you need to embrace that. And, and there's still a long way to go on life sciences. So having mission-oriented research in those areas, but with in my mind, with a view to looking at what some of the fundamental issues are as well is, is really important.
0: Fascinating. We're coming towards the end of our time. So I just had sort of one final question for you given all the initiatives within the innovation strategy all the prioritisation and some of the missions you've just been talking about how will universities like southampton be different in say 5 years time responding to some of the things in the strategy
1: yes and 5 years is actually a surprisingly long time in the life of a university knowing you're going to ask this question looking back a lots changed over 5 years and if you look 10 or 15 an awful lot has changed that I'd say one thing that is changing quite rapidly, I think will continue, and I've referred to it earlier in this conversation, is actually the appetite for particularly students, but staff as well, for behaving in an entrepreneurial manner, often with a social good element, increasingly with an eye to environmental sustainability as being one of our organising principles. There's a really strong consciousness there, and I think that will continue to play out over the next five years. I think the way we use technology is going to, uh, and AI and data science, is just going to change everything in every discipline in every educational offering we have, and and that isn't showing signs of slowing up. I think COVID has taught us that there are different ways of working, and whilst we're starting to go back to more normal pre-COVID operation, I think we're all aware we're not going to go completely there, and so you know how we exploit newfound confidence in distance working, both domestically and internationally, I think will be really interesting, you know, what that allows that we haven't been able to do before. So I think I'm confident there'll be plenty of changes. And I'm hopeful that the innovation strategy will open up awareness, particularly in some industrial sectors, of the importance of innovation, in many cases, building on basic research, science, but also non-science, social science research to give them competitive advantage. And, you know, I think that could be really exciting so that we work with more than just the usual suspects who we've been uh, of industries and sectors we've been working with for probably a couple of decades now.
0: Well, that's a happy and positive thought to end on. I will come back to you in five years' time and see exactly what's happened. Uh, But for the moment, uh, Professor Mark Spearing, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much, Gavin.
0: You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Professor Mark Spearing, Vice President of Research and Enterprise at the University of Southampton. The UK's Innovation Strategy is the topic of a free evening event being organised by the Foundation for Science and Technology on the 13th of October, at which we have the Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, Kwasi Kwarteng, speaking details of that event and how to register, plus details of all our other activities, can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Next week, we're looking at the industrial strategy from a business perspective, and my guest will be Paul Stein, Chief Technology Officer of Rolls-Royce. Until then, goodbye.